Hello, I'm Mary, and you're listening to First Pages Readings. In this podcast, I explore reading and celebrate books as cultural messengers. Each episode, I'll read from three books of either fiction, nonfiction, young adult, middle grade, or poetry. Hello and welcome to First Pages Readings, Episode 50. And thanks for joining me. Today I'll be reading from three books of fiction. Let's get started. Today's first book is Signs Preceding the End of the World by Mexican author Yuri Herrera. The main character, Makina, leaves her world in Mexico to find her brother in the United States. Makina's journey is filled with a potent mix of danger, paradox, cultural irony, and mythology while telling a compelling story. The book's most prominent feature, however, may be its language and the choice of words that sit in beautifully crafted sentences, translated from Spanish by Lisa Dillman. The book is an artful masterpiece, and be sure to read the translator's note at the end as she addresses her interesting and challenging translation process, as well as the book's many themes. The first page of Signs Preceding the End of the World. I'm dead, Makina said to herself when everything lurched. A man with a cane was crossing the street. A dull groan suddenly surged through the asphalt. The man stood still, as if waiting for someone to repeat the question, and then the earth opened up beneath his feet. It swallowed the man, and with him a car and a dog. All the oxygen around and even the screams of passers-by. I'm dead, Makina said to herself. And hardly had she said it than her whole body began to contest that verdict, and she flailed her feet frantically backward, each step mere inches from the sinkhole, until the precipice settled into a perfect circle, and Makina was saved. Slippery bitch of a city, she said to herself, always about to sink back into the cellar. This was the first time the earth's insanity had affected her. The little town was riddled with bullet holes and tunnels bored by five centuries of voracious silver lust, and from time to time, some poor soul accidentally discovered just what a half-assed job they'd done of covering them over. A few houses had already been sent packing to the underworld, as had a soccer pitch and half an empty school. These things always happen to someone else, until they happen to you, she thought. Today's next book is The Housekeeper and the Professor by Japanese author Yoko Agawa, translated by Stephen Snyder. The story centers around a professor and a housekeeper and her son who look after him. The professor experienced a traumatic accident and as a result doesn't remember anything for more than 80 minutes. With an imaginative narrative, the book speaks to memory and its effects, the beauty of mathematics and how it surrounds us in our daily lives, and ultimately is about family in its non-traditional possibilities. The book's language is lyrical and beautiful, and the story is engaging and original. The first page of The Housekeeper and the Professor We called him the professor, and he called my son Root, because he said the flat top of his head reminded him of the square root sign. 
There's a fine brain in there, the professor said, mussing my son's hair. Root, who wore a cap to avoid being teased by his friends, gave a wary shrug. With this one little sign, we can come to know an infinite range of numbers, even those we can't see. He traced the symbol in the thick layer of dust on his desk. Of all the countless things my son and I learned from the professor, the meaning of the square root was among the most important. No doubt he would have been bothered by my use of the word countless, too sloppy, for he believed that the very origins of the universe could be explained in the exact language of numbers, but I don't know how else to put it. He taught us about enormous prime numbers, with more than a 100,000 places, and the largest number of all, which was used in mathematical proofs and was in the Guinness Book of Records, and about the idea of something beyond infinity. As interesting as all this was, it could never match the experience of simply spending time with the professor. I remember when he taught us about the spell cast by placing numbers under this square root sign. It was a rainy evening in early April. My son's school bag lay abandoned on the rug. The light in the professor's study was dim. Outside the window, the blossoms on the apricot tree were heavy with rain. Today's third book is the short story collection Skinship by Korean-born author Yoon Choi. This breathtaking collection of stories dives straight into the hearts and minds of its characters with bold and insightful language. The impact of the stories is immediate, as the characters come alive in their ironic circumstances and unique challenges. The stories may be grounded in Korean culture, but their revelations are as universal as they are profound, as the characters come face to face with seemingly unresolvable predicaments. This is a magical book. The first page of Skinship. The Church of Abundant Life. Sue occupies the high stool behind the register as her husband Jay brings in the cartons of eggs, the infant formula, the glue traps, the dried beans, the little Debbie cakes, the single rolls of toilet paper, the strawberry cigars, the Jamaican castor oil, the yellow boxes of SOS steel wool, the cough syrup, the cereal, the hydroquinone cream, the little glass pipes of love roses, the foil-capped plastic barrel drinks called little hugs that their customers call grenades. It is a Wednesday. On Wednesdays, Jay restocks the store. Just see this, he says to her in Korean, setting down a final stack of boxes. Would you take a look at this? He takes a Chusun Ebo, from the top of a box and slaps it on the counter. She does not put up the reading glasses that she wears on a chain around her neck. Without them, she can only discern that what Jay has put in front of her is some kind of an ad. Men, she says to herself in consolation. Sue knows that if Jay has a Korean newspaper, he must have dropped by Mr. Rowe's corner store three blocks over. She can practically see the two of them smoking and conferring on the concrete stoop. She knows their topics of conversation. The price of milk. North and South Korean politics. The Pennsylvania lotto. What worries her is when this talk results in a business idea, 
There was the time Jay and Mr. Rue drove back from the wholesalers on Broadway with a trunkload of weaves and wigs. She met the car at the curb with her arms crossed. There was just one thing she wanted to know. How much? Ten thousand dollars, said Jay. Not to worry. They had used money from the Kai. Thank you for spending time with me today. If you liked listening to this episode, please subscribe.